0: You today? How do you feel after your big announcement yesterday? I feel really good. I've gotten a lot of nice messages. Yes. I haven't gotten
1: any not nice messages. um So, yeah, I feel good. I feel my aunt called because oh. she, my cousin called her and said, Oh my gosh, I just saw this message. And so she was like, oh, She has cancer. Oh my God. <laughs> she was worried that something bad was happening. And that's why this felt impromptu. So she called and I had to call her back and say, no, no, everything's fine. She's like, oh, in that case, I'm super proud of you. Good for you. That's exciting. And
0: all good things. How do you feel emotionally about it? Do you feel like kind of a load of bricks have been taken off your back? Like, do you feel freer a little? Yes.
1: I, I mean, I have a lot of feels. I think I feel relieved that it's now... Public, I feel really yeah. that I don't feel like I have a like a heavy secret. I feel supported by a group of people that seem to have, know me as well as anybody could. In that you know, um, in that way, that are really cheering me on. I feel a little apprehensive about letting go of some of the people that I know. It's going to really be hard for them. Yeah, so a lot of big feelings, but I feel mostly good that i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing good yeah i don't think you can get better than than that just just the knowing that you're doing Mm -hmm. the thing that needs to be done and dealing with all the highs and lows that come with it
0: you've been trying you've been feeling like you should close your practice though since i met you that was like a conversation we had very early on in our friendship me being one of your patients, like that was talked about very early on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I was going in this one direction pre COVID and I was really happy with it. And we had associates and it was really busy and it was a very growth centric pattern. And then COVID hit and it changed everything. And for a couple of years, it was still really good. And I was riding that wave. But then over time, it was like, gosh, this is really, just tiresome them in a different way. I like having colleagues. I like having people to share my workspace with and going back to being a solo practitioner that there's a weight that comes with that. And, but also it's also really, really hard to hire anybody where we live. And yeah. so just going out to hire somebody, that's not a thing that happens either. It takes a lot of effort and that didn't feel like the right place to go either. So it felt like I'm going to regret not making the choice that i'm i'm the only person who can make the choice and if i don't at least try it i think i would regret that and if i don't like it i can go back to practice at any point it can it's always going to be there for me so it's very exciting thanks thanks yeah it's just growth you know like if you were in a job and you felt stagnant in your job most people have the opportunity to switch jobs, change right. career paths, change departments. Um, you know, try something else on, go to a new organization. And when you're a self-employed business owner, you don't have that.
0: Right. So you I was either watching, do the business or you don't.
1: Yeah, and I was watching everybody else make great leaps in life, and make big decisions, and take these big steps, and get promotions, and it was like, gosh my day looks almost exactly the same way that it did when I started this 15 years ago. It's right. so the same. And I thrive on a little change. So mm-hmm. it felt like a necessary thing for me. And I just needed to get to a point that I could say, that's okay. It's okay to make a choice for myself. Right.
0: Right. And obviously like, I know that there's a lot of feels cause that's a big life change. I mean, you've been in practice over 15 years. So, I mean, to stop doing that or to like, not even stop necessarily, but to stop that version of your practice, which is seeing patients in person every single day. That must be really crazy to think that your day-to-day life is just going to change so much so fast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I'm crazy in a good way. I um, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. And it's funny because everybody, everybody many people that i've talked to are like oh are you just going to act you're going to open a practice closer to your house are you going to do this it's like i have no idea i'm going to close this chapter but i'm not actively writing the next one i'm really not i just feel like this needs to come to an end and i'm going to take a minute and i'm going to catch my breath and i'm going to look at what's out there and then i'm going to decide if there's any type of other practice that I want to do, or if I just need to not do it for a minute. So it's funny because everyone's tendency is to say, oh, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. I know, but all I'm doing right now is ending something. Mm. And I'm not even thinking about beginning the next thing really.
0: There's something ceremonious about that too, that like the approach you're taking, because typically people don't end things until they've already started on something new, or they already have, I mean, take Sam for example like he has been looking for you know his next job not next job but you know he's been wanting to grow in his career and he's been interviewing a bunch of different places and nothing really seemed like the right fit but he didn't you know it was un- only until he felt like he had the right job offer did he end his current you know that he put in his notice and did all that stuff but he was actively searching for the new thing that felt right before he stopped The old thing you know what i mean they kind of all bleed into one one into another so it's kind of cool that you get to just end and like celebrate that it is and i mean we have a new thing we started
1: the fertility resort we started this podcast so i have new things in my life already that are inspiring me but i'm resisting the temptation to feel like in order to make change a i must have a safety net or a new path or whatever. It's a very gas brake, gas brake way to live. And so what I've decided is like, I'm not slamming on the brakes, I'm coming to a stop, and then I'm gonna take my foot off the, the brake and the car will start moving, but I'm not necessarily gonna hit the gas. Like It's just going to be organic. And that's the way that I need it to be. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you, that's very Chinese medicine. <laughs> All the years of yin and yang conversation, like manifest it, Erin. Take your advice. Yeah, just one thing. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Because even you know, in your family and other people's opinions, like you should do this. You should do this. Like actually, what I should do is close. Full stop. (laughs) Just that, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, but my kids are really excited. They watched the video last night and they were like, mom, you're doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I have talked about it. I've talked around it. I've talked about changing it for a long time. So I think they were starting to feel like mm, she's all talk, mm-hmm. you know? So this feels like, oh my gosh, like it's public. It's on
0: the interwebs. Right. If it's on the Instagram. It's legit. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. It's very, very, very exciting.
1: Of course, my daughter's like, so you're going to pick me up at school every day now, right? (laughs) No, Felicia, you are a bus rider. You ain't no car rider. No matter what job I have. Not happening. It takes Um, an hour to do that. So no, I'm not doing it.
0: And also like you deserve to have like a couple of months where you can just go do what you want every day and not be tied down.
1: I don't even know what to say about that. I really do. I mean, it's very excited just to think about the days of the week that I'm normally like, I, you know, like so many people, you the alarm goes off. And I think what day is it? It's Mm -hmm. Tuesday. What happens on Tuesday? On Tuesday, I do this. What time does that happen? And I have to go through my mental catalog of okay, what are my requirements before I even put my feet on the floor. So to just know, like, Hmm, I just get up and get the kids on the bus. Wow. Blanks, right? Blank space. Like, oh, huh. I've never had that much blank space. So that's pretty, um, it's pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> very exciting. You should be very proud of yourself. You worked, well, and you worked really hard to get to the point where you feel comfortable doing this too. You know, I, I like, I don't think that that can be discredited by any means that you worked really hard to be able to get to the point because it is in a way like privilege to be able, you earned the privilege of being able to have a full stop, you know?
1: That's a good thing to say, because it does. I, I would never want to close because I feel like I was being forced out. I would not want to close because I felt like my business was failing. It's none of that. It's none of that. It's just I'm closing because that's what I need to do. Yeah. It just breathes a totally different kind of life into it. It's not as sad. No, of course not.
0: Honestly, like, I think, I mean, the point of business, and this is me going off on a soapbox real, you know, like, of course you have those family owned businesses that last for years and years and years that are amazing and, but they grow and change with you, but with your acupuncture, acupuncture practice, like you kind of can't really do that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like. You you have a practice, and then the practice is the practice until you're done with the practice. You know what I mean? It's not like it can't really evolve much more than it already has over the last fifteen years. So as you grow and change as a person, inevitably, if your business doesn't grow and change with you and facilitate the same kind of life that you want after fifteen years of doing the exact same thing, like then yeah, I mean the only next option is to give yourself permission to have a new career.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I've done it. And that's what I mean. I I feel so endorsed by people saying it was great working with you. You helped me. I'm so excited for you and to see what you do next. That feels like such an endorsement. And instead of feeling like you're abandoning people. And I think that's what we're fearful about or something I was always fearful about. So that really hasn't shown up. I've only had two people that were a little sour so far. And they were like sour patch kids like it was a little crunchy sour on the outside but on the inside was okay just we had to we had to get through the crust and um but i expect that right it affects other people too and i know that's the case but yes at some point you make your decisions for yourself not just for other people's circumstances
0: i think it's really exciting and i think it's you know i think everybody's very excited to see what happens next
1: thanks um i feel
0: like this is like a whole podcast we're doing right now i know right it whatever. Could be.
1: Then, yeah maybe we will in the future
0: yeah maybe, maybe you, you should whenever like you do land your feet back on the ground and something that or whatever it is like maybe that is a podcast episode
1: i'm up for it i'm a talker
0: Well, on today's episode of the podcast, we also have a mover and a shaker.
1: Yes. Yes. I love, I will always say this. I love Dr. Justine. I loved her the moment I met her. I knew right away. Oh, I love this girl. I want to be her friend. I want her to come to my dinner party. I want to be <laughs> social circle because she's just got a great, like charismatic beingness that takes a subject that's touchy and uncomfortable and just makes it like totally okay to talk about or to be a part of and i I just love that for her.
0: yeah um she's fantastic i only recently met her actually through you um and i have adored every conversation every moment i feel like that I've spent with her since. Um, so today on the podcast, we have Dr. Justine Williams-Roper. She is a doctor of physical therapy um, who specializes in pelvic floor health. Um, she's also a wellness expert, a marathon runner, and just all around kind of a badass. Um, not kind of, is a badass. She is the founder of In Her Physique, pelvic floor physical therapy here in Pensacola, Florida. And she's just kind of an inspiration to everyone. Um, And in this particular episode, Dr. Justine takes us on a journey of what the pelvic floor is, how it is impacted by trauma, what that looks like and how that trauma is manifested into our pelvic floor, into our wellness in general and kind of the mental and physical connection between trauma and pelvic floor and then we get into a lot of fertility stuff too we talk about the trauma of miscarriage and loss and how that affects our pelvic floor and how our body functions and it's really fascinating and a really great conversation so if you don't know what your pelvic floor is you're about to find out
1: Okay, hi. This is the Protected Space Podcast, and we are here today. I'm super excited about today's episode. I've been waiting to talk to this beautiful young woman. This is Dr. Justine Williams-Brober, who is a PhD pelvic floor therapist, and she is, I'm just going to say it, she's a badass. I met her once at a meeting, and I got so excited and freaking tickled when I met her and that was five or six years ago. And I've just watched mm-hmm. all these cool iterations of what you're doing. And I just want to, if you can't see her, right. Cause it's the podcast, she's wearing a t-shirt that says pelvic health matters. And I just, <laughs> I just love it. I love it. It's so fantastic to see somebody taking such a, like a strange, weird clinical situation and making it normal, common and funny. So freaking
2: high fives I'm pumped about that okay there you go Woo-hoo. That was a great thank interview. you for having hey, me I don't get it to was do good it. I, hey it was so good I am so <laughs> grateful that you all um are having me today and I just call this being sold out like I just I'm just sold out to the to the vibes I'm sold out <laughs> to the pelvic health thing <laughs> <So> <laughs> you drank the kool-aid and I've been, I drank the Kool-Aid and my team is so awesome because they actually come up with a lot of these slogans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them are funny, some of them, you know, but this is our fan favorite, people love this shirt. Mm -hmm. I guess it's a grabber, like a a attention grabber. It is. But I'm I'm glad to be here, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) So Justine,
2: Dr. Justine,
0: tell us about your background and why you chose to become
2: a pelvic health expert. Great question. I'm going to try to keep it super, super short. Um, I Mm -hmm. just like to tell this story because I think it's interesting and it's also slash dramatic for me at the same time. But I was a uh, physical therapist in Washington, D.C. around 2016. And I was in a charter school for children that had special needs. And I was working with one of my students one day and he just mauled me in the face. And I'm like leaking blood everywhere. and at that time I was like all right uh I probably need to maybe try something a little bit different right because I was already (laughs) you know it's an interesting setting um it's hard because a lot of the children may not necessarily progress and you see your work manifest in their body it takes a long time especially with people with different diagnoses so that very day I made the decision I was like I'm gonna go into do what I wanted to do all along which was Pelvic rehab. Um, I got introduced to it when I was in physical therapy school. Loved it. I was in a class of maybe like 31 people in the beginning, and we did a lab day in it. And not a lot of people were super interested in it. I mean, I could understand why. It gets really mm-hmm. involved. Um, but that was my introduction to it. I got a specialty clinical rotation in it um, for about three months straight, just pelvic rehab cases. Um, and I just had a fondness for it. But the issue was that it's not a lot of us when you think about ortho versus pelvic it's not a lot of us so I couldn't find a job yeah. um in it. it was really even in Washington DC you think that there's like so many options for you to do pelvic rehab but oftentimes it may be like a mix of like ortho with pelvic but I, I was sold out I wanted to do pelvic so that day I was like I'm gonna come home and open up shop and that's what I did so oh that's kind of how I got here
1: that's what I'm saying she is a badass you're just such a doer I love that I just feel like that is something that we don't encounter as much today. People really are stuck and they have to get and haul, and they have to learn and we have to get all the, and you just said, I'm going to do this and you did it. And I think that's amazing.
2: Thank you. I, it, and here's the thing about doing the do part when it comes down to women's health, it doesn't take much to realize that you need to kick into action.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because it's yeah. so,
2: if you hear anyone's stories, you're like, oh, wow, like, mm-hmm. like there's a need here right so yeah that's kind of where i, I stood with it for sure
1: okay so like can you explain because i think i feel like public floor therapy is still like a mystical thing for mm-hmm. a lot of people like i don't yeah. think that the average joe really understands what a public floor therapist really does so could you like give us like a thousand foot view of
2: what you really do yeah. for people Well, let's start off really briefly with what the pelvic floor is in general, because I think people have this loose idea. It is truly just a three layered muscle bowl. That's all it is, It's a three layered muscle bowl, the same tissue that your quadricep and your your bicep are made out of. It's the same type of tissue. That means we can control that area for the most Mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you can't, that's when people come and see me because they need some help with training. So in that three layered muscle bowl, that's, it's really the base or support for your internal pelvic organs, right? Your reproductive organs, your bladder, your rectum. Um, And so there should be a very healthy balance between your bony structures, your pelvic girdle, your, your pelvic bone, right? Your hips, all of that. It should be a healthy balance between the bones, the muscles and the organs that sit inside of the pelvic floor bowl, okay? And so when things go wrong, again, in that area, most of the time people will present with maybe like three different types of symptoms, Um, it's it's huge. There There are so many different diagnoses and symptoms that exist, but we're gonna just make it super simple and say bladder and bowel symptoms. That's like urgency, leakage, bladder discomfort, constipation, fecal incontinence, those types of things. Then you have pelvic pain. And I like to say anything chest down that hurts inside or out. And then the third would be things like sexual dysfunction, postpartum related issues, right? And so some people have a lot of those things in all of those categories and some people don't have any, right? But as a rehab specialist, what we are able to do, properly trained pelvic floor therapist, um, and I'll circle back around to what I mean by properly, um, but pelvic floor therapists are skilled to do pelvic floor exams. In our pelvic floor exams, we are looking for function, tone, coordination, um, position, posture, right? So I typically ask my patients in that exam, can they squeeze, can you squeeze and control, can you release, can you relax, right? And those things are important because you need those things to urinate and defecate. Um, We're looking at pelvic floor muscle tone, are you tight versus weak, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things are a part of our exam. And then we create a treatment program that has techniques that, that are a little bit different than ortho, but it could include some ortho type things. And we create that plan that directly focuses on your goals. At my clinic, people come in with complaints, but my focus is what are those complaints stopping you from doing? So, for example, one of our patients um, doesn't too much have an issue in uh, the regular grocery store pushing a buggy. But if she goes to Sam's Club, loads that buggy and pushes that buggy, she leaks when she pushes that buggy. So oh, wow. now what we're focused on, right, right. So now what we're focusing on is a, the function. Now you can't really go to Sam's Club comfortably and get food for your family because is now- that why that... you put a
1: billboard there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Always thinking,
2: put the billboard Always next
1: thinking.
2: to the Sam's Club. <laughs> Listen, put it next to the Sam's Club. We put it next to the mall where moms like to go. You know, uh-huh. So we try to go where our patients that uh, are, but yeah, like when you talk about, the function and symptoms, we're, we are as pelvic floor therapists looking at pelvic floor complaints, how it relates to your everyday life and helping you solve that problem. So that's, that's what we do. That's amazing. Thank you for that. That's very helpful. <laughs> so okay.
1: for anybody who didn't understand, a pelvic floor exam, you're gonna put your hand, if you're a female, essentially inside their body and ask them to do X and do Y and hold and squeeze and do this. And then you're feeling around inside there all at the same time. So I have a friend, I'm not gonna say yeah. who is, but I have a friend who said to me, because I said, Oh, do you know Dr. Justine? She's coming on the podcast. And she said, I want you to know you know me very well. No. no.
2: <laughs> oh, are we here? Can you hear us? You're gonna go. You said, Do you know the last? last thing i heard you say was do you know dr justine
1: okay so i was talking to a girlfriend and i said do you know dr justine because she's coming on the podcast and was talking about that and she said you know me really well and you know that nothing like very few things really rock my boat and she said but when dr justine had her hand in her my vagina and made eye contact with me and asked me to do this that the other she said It tricked me out a little bit. And it's so (laughs) funny because it's true. She's one of those people that is just an unshakable human. And she said, that was a little much for me. And I just thought, okay, that's profound because that's such an intimate Mm -hmm. space. So talk a little bit about that. And I mean, like, those people are awake and you're having a conversation about like, I got my hand in your pants and now we're going to do some stuff. So tell me about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it goes back a little bit to the perception of uh women's wellness or women's health healthcare providers and the relationship between the provider, the um patient, and what's at hand, what we're trying to achieve. So I look and think about OBGYN care that I've received. It is very in and out fast and very impersonal in a lot of different ways, right? And I think that that can be good. And I think that that can be bad depending on the person, right? When you get a pap smear so fast, it's a huge speculum that goes in, pops it open, crank, 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 scrape my cervix, move my finger around and I'm out. Truly that's, that's typically how they go. But when we're talking about function, that's completely different. Our OBGYNs are looking for pathology. I'm not looking for pathology. Um. I'm looking for function and control. I'm looking for how you execute any intentional task or skill or action uh, surrounding your pelvic floor, right? And so for me, another part of my training is trauma training. I have to look my patients in the face to see whether or not they are, um, whether or not what my touch is doing is exacerbating a mental response or a cognitive response. Right. Right? And so that's what I mean. Like when we talk about properly skilled pelvic therapists, everything we do is, is for a specific reason. Right. And so I think that like, when we talk about the pelvic exam that we do, it can totally be intimidating because again, it's so much more involved than what has typically been introduced to people. Mm -hmm. Right. We start from doing external, maybe, you know, resisting your hips, seeing if you're strong, testing your core strength to looking at an area that likely Um, you have either a disconnect with or is exacerbating some type of emotional problem because it's stopping really, really private matters that typically we don't think about. Uh, You know, we pee on autopilot. If you don't have an issue, you pee on autopilot. But what about the person who can't do a work from home job because they have urinary urgency and have to stand up every 15 to 30 minutes to urinate, right? So that's like a long winded way of saying our pelvic exam Um, is a bit different, more involved. We're looking at a whole bunch of different things and really focusing on function and control versus typical pelvic exams that you get at an OBGYN's office is looking for pathology. So I I think that maybe us pelvic floor therapists can do a better job of collaborating with other providers to be able to explain those things before patients come in. So they kind of get a different understanding or a deeper understanding of what's going to take place um, and then we try to walk them through step-by-step step so they understand.
1: Um, go ahead. I was saying that was, I think that that's a great way of putting it because I think setting expectations is really important when it comes to as a patient, like what is going to happen when I walk into a doctor's appointment. So yeah, I think working with affiliate providers so that when you get that referral, when the patient gets the referral to come see you, expectations have been set. And when I went yeah. through a doctoral program, I actually just, Dr. Justine let me come to the office and watch um, and do a shadow day with her because we had to go into these different clinical formats to look at how they were delivering their healthcare systems. So she let me come in and I got to watch her and the whole team. And I, I mean, I actually really had fun. It was so interesting to watch the way you do it. And so you're such an educator. And she, I got to see her sit down with a couple of different new patients. And before she ever touched them or laid any hands on them, she got out her pelvic bowl, little object dummy and put things in places and showed them this. And this is how this goes. And she's pulling the things. This comes out of the guts and here's the wet. And it was like, here's your hip girdle. And I thought, okay, this is, this is great. I mean, this person is becoming so comfortable and informed and it gives them a little chance to, kind of let their guard down. I mean, I just, you guys did such a great job with all of that. So I wanted to make sure that we clarified that for people. And again, I know all these pelvic floor therapists are different. Other people may not be doing that. But to me, I felt like, wow, this feels really, really informative and empowering And if I was that person, I would be like, one, I'm in good hands. This lady really knows her shit. (laughs) Two, okay, like we broke the ice, We've had a good laugh. Now I can get on this table and we can get down to business. So that's super cool. Do you have any tricks for people that are particularly freaked out, stressed out? Or, I mean, is it, do you use Mm -hmm. humor? Do you, like, how do you get into that space with them?
2: Yeah. So we do different things. So part of it is empowering the patient to have the autonomy to say no, um, for one, right? Like to say, hey, this, uh, can we do this next time instead, right? Like guiding them through, that's one. Um, We actually do some neurotechniques as well. So like, I love to have my patients cross their arms as someone's like upregulated. Because most people, once I explain the benefit of doing the exam they want to do it but it's like that anxiousness right and that that like fear of like just the process right of the fear of unknown right but then the second is like what am I going to find right what's going to right. be wrong so we'll do techniques like tapping so we'll have the patients cross their their arms and start tapping we actually just got a brand new neurotech device that does it for them so that's really really cool it can go under their back under their glutes they can hold it in their hands we have headphones where it can go left to right um and so you know we try to be helpful in the sense that like let's give you something to deregulate or like calm you down a little bit if that's the reason why you're anxious Um, And then, of course, before the patients even go back, we have kind of like handout pictures that kind of describe what's going to happen in each step. And it's a part of their paperwork that they're going to read through before. So they kind of have that idea. Um, And so, you know, we try to support the patients as much as possible, because the truth of the, the matter is, is the more that you are educated, the more you can autonomously weigh the benefits, the pros and the cons of what we're doing. And we allow patients to make the choice because we can. Listen, I can treat you and know very little bit about you. Will it be the best, most specific? Probably not, right, without the exam. But it's still a benefit. You still learn so much. So between all of those things, I think that that's our attempt to help our patients out in that area. So let's get
1: into the meat of why we really wanted to have this conversation today. Okay. How many... It was probably a couple of months ago that Bryant and Dr. Justine and I were all sitting together. We had this, I wish we'd recorded it. We had this like three it hour coffee date that was so good. And it was, yeah. Dr. Justine said, I don't know exactly what it was, but you said there's this, you know, the difference between trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T I don't remember anything else right after that, but I remember thinking, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute, whoa, whoa, go back, go back. Trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T. I get that. Mm -hmm. I understand that, but tell me more about it. And so I am so fascinated at how trauma with a big T, trauma with a little T, what is that? And then how does that marry into how you really tapped into that through this pelvic floor thing, what is
2: going on with this? I mean, we're just going to have to open this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So when we talk about trauma in general, I think that we, we have a lot of loose language surrounding it. And, and I think that it just like umbrella terms, right. When we talk about it, but I think that there is such importance with kind of like um simplifying these complex ideas, topics, and definitions for people to understand for their personal development, okay? So when we talk about big T versus little t, when we talk about trauma, and let me just tell you my loose definition of trauma. You can go to Psychology Today. You can go to the American Psych Association. There's so many different, I guess, wordings surrounding trauma, but trauma is an experience that you have that your body has a hard time regulating from, it throws the balance of your cognitive processes and often especially with big trauma which we'll talk about in a second physiological response Mm -hmm. okay so your body's having a hard time recovering from that that's what we're talking about when we talk about trauma so let's break down big t so big t is going to be those big traumatic events we're talking about car accidents sexual assaults things like that Uh, a military being in the military and seeing bombings right for example or war like situations right things like that the things that are easy to pick out easy to pick when we think of trauma those are the things we think about yeah truly those those are those big 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 events right so when we talk about little traumas though these are little things that add up over time that didn't necessarily create a life-threatening event to us but impacted us enough where that little bit of spiking fight of fi- uh, fight or flight and or an emotional response, right? Mm-hmm. That it didn't necessarily uh require our body to store it and hold on to it and allow it to physically manifest. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's a behavioral manifestation. So examples of those would be getting bullied, losing a pet, having strain within a relationship, right? those types of things. Um, and a lot of people who have done therapy or talk therapy, we sit and our therapist guides us in bringing back memories, Mm -hmm. right? Those, those memories of things that happen that, and you're like, wow, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, I didn't even really remember that happened, or I didn't really realize that that event, um, did something to me, it, it influenced my decision-making or it, it influenced the way I perceive things. So while the big traumas usually have some form of life threat to our body, our life itself, right? On a larger scale, little T's are just little things that happen throughout our lifespan that typically will add up. And sometimes when they do add up, they will present physically. So those are the difference, differences between big T versus little T. Does that make sense? Yes. yes, very
1: well Thank you. I love okay. that. Yeah. Think that you know, think, like you said, trauma. We hear this word all the time. Trauma, 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 and everybody's saying trauma, but right when you don't really give it any descriptive factors, it starts mm-hmm. to lose value because you're thinking that person hasn't had a lot of these big catastrophic events. What are they talking about? So I loved the simplicity of just
2: saying big T, little
1: T. I don't know if you've got that from somewhere else or if you came up with that, but it is really fantastic.
2: It is totally not mine. It is is used in a lot of psychology reviews, a lot of psychology um, reports, um, a lot of readings, Books and things of that nature so you can find it more often now. And I'll give you guys some resources too that address big T versus little t in the literature. I think that'd be great for people to read on their own. Um, But I think it's very validating because even for me, right, right, it's validating. It's like, well, and I think we use that in a negative way. It's like, well, I didn't actually have sexual assault happen to me. I didn't have all these things, but I feel something as a result of the small things that I've experienced in my life that hurt me, that hurt my feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a traumatic thing and it's okay to label that and get the help you need for it, no matter whether it seems big or it seems small to others.
1: So is this conversation something that you've always been interested in or did it come out of, you know, being in an experience with patients and understanding the psychological issues there? What, like, how did you put all
2: this together? Well, I think part of it is I've always had an interest in it, right? Like reading and, and, and just being present um, in, in literature, right? But I think seeing how trauma has influenced my patient's uh, progress and goals when we talk about pelvic floor rehab I needed to delve deeper so I can see how I can improve my skill set in order to better serve the population that I treat.
0: Mm.
2: And so I think that that's what got me going a little bit deeper into it um, was just seeing that I, I, it was like, I can put, put, I can see the trauma almost sitting on people,
0: Mm. especially
2: when we're talking about pelvic pain. Um, We have patients all the time that probably would be four or five sessions in and still have yet to not have one that they cried in. Um, And so those types of things uh, made me say, all right, we need to delve a little bit deeper, understand this a little bit better.
1: So how do you put that in practice in the treatment suite?
2: Yeah, I think, I think, one, I, I had all of my staff, we had a trauma-informed care specialist come in and start. we started there, just understanding terminology. How can we better improve how we interact with our patients? Trauma-informed care is super important for anyone working with people within healthcare. Um, it is just extremely important. So we started there with being able to understand verbiage for one, right? And then what to look out for. Because in our intake forms, we tried to be as uh, thorough as possible with the questions we asked. But it'll be sometimes I'll get a a piece of blank paper without responding to anything related to history of trauma or mental health, right? And so we started there. We started with training the staff and then also like just putting more inclusive language within our um, paperwork. and again, people can elect to share or not. Then I think, again, it starts with the conversation. You'll never believe every time I sit and bring a new patient back, how fast they are ready to tell me their story.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I and I do. think that's perfect. Oh yeah, I get that. You get that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And let me tell you why that's important. That's important because we've been so rushed in women's care, women's wellness, women's care, and not even women's. Let's talk about just a general right. GP's healthcare thing. Sure. Just right, we're rushed. And so if someone has a background of trauma at all, just allowing them to, to say, hey, take your learn a little bit. Take your time with telling me this story. Be thorough as possible, right? So one, it comes out comes out in practice before we even touch them, how we're communicating with them in their intake process. Then the second is gonna be how we touch our patients. One is going to be making sure they consent to every single thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Because I have been in situations where Doctors have touched me in in not even necessarily in appropriate ways by any means, but I just wasn't expecting what they were going to do. I wanted to know what they were going to do. It was, it was abrupt. And sometimes it wasn't like if someone was standing on the side and watched. maybe it wasn't abrupt. I just wanted to be in the know of what's being done to my body. Right. Right. So verbally discussing what I'm doing every single step. Um, And I learned this technique a long time ago um, by Dr. Tracy Shear, who owns a pelvic floor rehab uh, facility in South Florida. She likes to just simply put her hand on someone's body and just allow them to do deep breaths for them to even tolerate the sensation of her hand on their body. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll do it on the inner thigh. Sometimes we'll actually start on the outer thigh and move to the inner thigh. So just even being outside of the vagina at at all or the rectum at all, right? For them to be able to tolerate touch at all, right? So a lot of times it comes with communication, touch, and just overall allowing the patient to tell you when they're ready to move on to the next step. And that applies to treatment as well. We're talking about evaluate i am talking about evaluation, but that also applies to treatment. I think the other thing is building a resource archive for our patients uh, to know when they need assistance in that in the health uh, the area of mental health and being able to a proper to properly refer them out. I think that that's missing in a lot of healthcare in general, right? And so creating a collaborative team is also very important. So, what do you think?
1: I mean, as far as the big T traumas go, do you feel yeah. like it seems obvious that sexual traumas of any kind would be probably directly linked to some sort of pelvic dysfunction or pelvic pain scenario? But are there other ones that we wouldn't think about as much, but that you see show up really time and time again?
2: Oh yeah, medical. That's the first one that actually. Before I really even think of sexual assault or anything like that, I think of medical trauma. I think oh. of people who have gone in for vaginal births and vaginal deliveries, who've had manual extractions of their children, episiotomies, extremely long labors. Um, that's traumatic. Um, sure. So and and people are extremely fearful. Of of women's care, or I keep saying women's. I, I do want to be inclusive here, but um, at the when I think about that, when we have people that are delivering children and have been through so much in that delivery process, cesarean um, delivery, things like that, like uh, that's a big one. That's a big one. Um, another one is going to be just um, typical falls, falls, and any orthopedic type things, car accidents stuff like that. Uh, those are traumatic experiences as well, for sure. And so, but but medical trauma is a big one, even when it's elective, right? Like when people go in for maybe like tummy tucks, I see a lot of tummy tucks. People are traumatized from their tummy tucks. They won't even touch their stomach. Huh. So So it's, yeah, medical is up there for sure.
1: The first panic attack I ever had was in a cesarean section. That was the first time I ever remember having a full-on I think I'm going to die panic attack and I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I can explain everything. I remember every detail and every moment, everything that was happening. And I just remember thinking, Mm -hmm. I think I'd rather have you put me to sleep forever than go through this. It was terrifying to me. And I thought, Mm -hmm. this is so, Erin, you're so, this is totally illogical. This happens every day everything is fine, your babies are being born. I couldn't even pay attention to what was happening to them because I was losing my shit. And I think it scared the bejesus out of my husband because he had never seen me like that. And so he was just trying to talk me off the ledge. It took me 10 minutes to get to the point that I was like, are the babies okay? I mean, I said it in the moment, but I was in some sort of hysterical fear situation. So mm-hmm. I i don't know, I think you just totally validated that because yes. it came out of nowhere, I had no idea what was happening and I had a rough recovery. And I feel like that was just like, it, we didn't start out very well. That That whole traumatic episode, I feel like it kind of put me in a different space. So I don't know, just for you to acknowledge that, you see that so often. I don't know, I guess it just makes me feel like, okay, I wasn't, I wasn't having some atypical reaction. I think I was having a strong reaction, but.
2: Yeah, yeah, not at all, and I think that people, I think, I wish more providers would understand the impact of the, stress that's put on a person when they have a procedure and I'm not really sure I think it's good it would take a collaborative effort for sure and uh different scenarios of course to improve the environment um but again I still think that like education and like truly knowing what happens in an operating room truly know um and educate yourself or be educated by providers that are supposed to be the experts in that area right like educate and prepare as best as possible because again we just are humans and we live in a, a a depraved world right and so when we look at those things there's still a lot of room for error but um yeah being educated and I I really hope more people become validated surrounding their experiences with with birthing um or any other medical procedure for that matter uh, because it is a big deal big deal
1: Thank you for saying that i feel like it's a big deal too and i just think it's become so dismissed it's so i mean yeah. people used to die in childbirth on a regular basis that was the norm uh, yeah. At, you know the yeah. babies and the mothers and we've come a long way and we've developed all these amazing medical you know medical facilitations to save lives but in the process we've sort of erased the whole fact that this is a large object it's, it's a big deal to birth the baby into the world, whichever way it's coming out. It's a big deal. And then to just assume that everything's fine now, like okay, baby's out, everything's good, bye. <laughs> like, what just happened to me? I am, I'm a completely different person than I was five minutes ago. And nobody ever says anything about that. No one acknowledges it.
2: Like, yeah, I mean, but it, from the beginning of time, oh, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, well, from the beginning of time, it's 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 from that misogynistic viewpoint where women are objectified in almost every way of their existence. That's where it comes from. Truly. It, it It's just come from that structural, those constructs that women's jobs are to do these certain things and do it quietly. Right. Like that's right. that's where it comes from mm-hmm and and I think that like more people yeah if more people understood and I know that they do I think that you're right in the sense of how far we've come we've come a long long way um but we still have have room to grow in that empathy I think the word is truly empathy too like right. we we like empathy in the human race mm-hmm. right and so yeah I won't I won't go there but empathy yeah.
1: well you get to go there in our next podcast episode. <laughs>
2: Yes, yes,
1: yes. So what about people with a penis? What is different about their pelvic floor? Because we, I think a lot of people assume it's really mostly for women because of pregnancy Mm -hmm. and birth. But it's not. There are people with a penis who also need pelvic care. And again, trying to be inclusive. um, What's different about working with that patient group?
2: Well, when you're working with patients who have a penis, you have a different shape of the pelvis itself. It, it's different mm-hmm. shape. Um, our, as far as uh, female anatomy, it's more circular because it has to open to let the baby come out. Mm-hmm. And then for a male, we got more of like a heart-shaped situation happening with the way that their pelvis is shaped in general. Um, And of course, the structures that are inside are different. Prostate, we don't have, you know, women don't have prostates, things like that. Um, But when it comes down to true pelvic floor muscles, same muscles, same type of deal, same layers, same names, when it comes down to the muscles themselves. Um, Men can present with nearly um, every other symptom um, outside of prostatitis type or prostate type complaints, dribble, leakage, pain, constipation, all of the same things.
1: How does the big T and little t show up in that space? Is it the same? Or do you do you feel like you have to work with a, a different dynamic to get more yeah. into that traumatic space with them?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to, it's, it's, it's a feat, to be honest, because I think that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, one, it's super vulnerable for someone with a penis to come here, um, and right. I and it's vulnerable for anybody, right, but m- most people with vaginas have gone and had some form of health, right. because that's how the majority of our patients have gotten here. They've been referred here from another well, type and, of, you know. Yeah, people
1: with vaginas have... A- We've had penetration in one form or another. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. we've already reconciled the fact that, okay, we're going to do this thing inside my body. And that's normal to me. But if you're a person with a penis, that might be less, you Mm -hmm. know, you're less uh, situated to that space. And also, I just think, I, I mean, and I am not a person that like this doesn't bother me, but I do know some people
0: that, you know, there are some people with a vagina who would prefer practitioner with a vagina if they're going to be going through uh, an intimate procedure and vice versa I think for people with penises so like how does that affect how does that affect your clinic and your experience with working with that demographic like when that person walks yeah. into the clinic and it's a clinic filled with women
2: and a clinic of mm-hmm. staffed 100% by women how does that look mm-hmm. I think, believe it or not, (laughs) every patient with a penis that I've treated are actually grateful that I have a
0: vagina. (laughs) 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 Okay, I totally get that. Yeah,
2: because it would be such a
0: different
1: experience if you had a penis. Because you'd be like, "All right, Steve, here's what's going to go down." Yeah.
2: (laughs) Now you know, and you know that, like, when we do our pelvic exam on males, it's indirectly. So that's another, taking it another step. Right. Like right. Okay. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. And so when we're talking about like trauma in general, BT versus little t, it, before we can really truly get, you know, you know, outside of the communication prior um, to doing an exam itself, we got to get past a lot of stuff yeah. with, with, with our friends who have penises. We got to get, pass a lot um and so we really so we started a new process where we typically do not do pelvic exams on our our patients who have penises um the first day
1: Mm -hmm, yeah
2: we talk and we build rapport first so I made that executive call this year um prior to that I had not been been really doing that I was like hey if if you're okay with doing it let's get it you know get it going but um um, I've learned uh, to be more sensitive to that because sometimes they don't even expect that that would be a part of what's going on right so yeah yeah looks a little That's a good
1: move yeah what about children so what about children? children oh my
2: gosh they're so Do fun um you,
1: you I'm um, I I'm, yeah, imagine ahead. you have to have kids that are coming in and teenagers
2: yeah Mm-hmm. they come they're great uh, that population is great we see patients four years old and up mm-hmm. and with the kiddos we don't do any internal exams with them mm-hmm. we will use it, we will use uh, tools like biofeedback training or biofeedback to pick up on their ability to control so whereas mm-hmm. I would go in an adult uh, vagina and test strength. I would just look to see if the kiddo has control or not um, externally or um, on the screen. And the parent is very much involved in the process. Um, Even to do biofeedback, there are little sticky leaves that have to go on different areas, whether it be their belly, their rectum, whatever. I won't even place. I won't even do it. I'll have the parents do it. Um, Just so, especially early on in the process, because that's oftentimes their safer place with their parents um some kids they're so like whoa let's go let's do this this is fun this is new this is exhilarating this is exciting and then other kids immediately shut down so over the years um, i've learned to heavily involve the patient give the patient's parents a call beforehand even send in the mail i've even sent in the mail the leads for the machine so that the kids can practice at home with placing them get comfortable with that area. So we, we, yeah, it's super situation like dependent, but yeah, that's kind of how we address the kid situation too. So pretty much
1: anybody that pees or poops can go see a pelvic floor therapist,
2: Mm -hmm. especially
1: if they have problems with their pees and their (laughs) poops.
2: Yeah. I mean, cause you know, they should, we, we should be able to live lives that um, what, where we're in tune to those areas, but not necessarily having dysfunction happen. So yeah. we should, we, and because before I said, you know, autopilot, like we go to pee without thinking about it, we should think about these things, right? But <laughs> yeah. when it just works, we don't worry about it. Right. Um, but everyone, kiddos included, should be able to learn a little bit about their bodies and, and live dysfunction-free. I that. I do too.
1: Mm-hmm. I want that on a t-shirt, dysfunction-free living
2: oh i got one i got one (laughs) it's going on i'm I'm writing it down (laughs) i'm in large
1: thank you you can send that one in the mail
2: there you go i I got you i got you (laughs)
0: um
1: so i have a question how do you approach trauma from baby loss miscarriage whether it's stillbirth early loss um how does that, how do you handle that, the trauma of that? Because in my mind, as somebody who's a
2: recurrent loss patient, those are big T's.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I do, I agree. Loss, loss can be a huge big T. Um, so I, I'm thinking of a situation we had recently. So infant loss is, is hard. Uh, Stillbirths, all of those things are, are very hard. Um, and I, am, I applaud anyone who comes to continue to work on their body after experiencing those things that is that is extremely commendable so we take it very seriously um we've had situations where our lobby gets really busy and we have little babies in carriers and everything and they may be crying they may be laughing our staff walks over oh how cute right we go the extra step of even making sure that we're scheduling some of these patients outside of times where they have to see other people with these
1: oh, fresh babies. That makes me feel a lot of
2: things. I just got chills. Mm-hmm. It's, we have to protect people in the process of their healing. Yes. And we will meet you where you're at if you need that. I love that so much. Me too. And it's, in, because most people are blaming themselves in some way, form or fashion but what has transpired? They come with what's wrong with me because I just don't understand. Right. It's just a lot. And so, yeah, it makes me emotional too because it's so it's it, I, I can see how it's being it's seen as unfair and extremely, extremely painful, especially, you know, if it's happened multiple times, um, which we've had that uh, privilege of treating page, patients who have experienced these things multiple multiple times. Um, And so when we talk about that, we, you know, it's before, it's before we even, you know, just like everybody else, we try to get to know people. um, And let's say we didn't know, let's say we didn't know. um, And they express that to us. um, We pay attention to body language when they're talking. um, And sometimes I've had to ask, I've had to ask, how are you doing? Um, Are you, are you receiving um, any services to support you? um, Even if this happened 10 years ago, Right. Have, did you get the support you need because I you know I, studies show and I'll, I'll say this multiple times probably while I'm with you all all collaborative care saves lives so if you don't have multiple providers right helping you with different areas right we're doing ourselves a disservice right by, right. by that we need eyes on on and support in different areas and like Dr. Aaron I can't go in, and do acupuncture right <laughs> Right. (laughs) I'm I'm afraid of I'm afraid of needles to even start. So that's not my lane. I'll pass out immediately. And so, you know, everyone deserves a team. Right. And so educating um, our patients on the need to take care of themselves. Um, and it's a part of the the, the process. And so an, another neural technique that we do is called um, basically addressing the negative belief. So what is the negative belief? Is the negative belief? And sometimes, once we build that rapport, we ask these types of things. What's the negative belief? Is that something's wrong with me? Okay. So then we go down that route and we kind of talk about it. And sometimes we are. I'm doing body work as we're talking this through. Right. Like the patient may be lying down on their belly. I'm working on their hamstrings and we're talking it through. And I'm not necessarily offering any type of like mental health services. That's not what we're doing. But we're having a conversation that allows them to feel um, empowered to make the decision to go get further assistance. And from a specialist, someone that's qualified to do that work.
1: I love that. And I think it's easy to understand the necessity of some talk therapy, right? You've had a a miscarriage, a pregnancy loss, stillborn. That's going to be the most obvious next step. And some people will take it and some won't. I think what people don't understand is the profound kind of feeling that can come from that emotional somatic experience. When they're when you're talking and you're remembering, but also you're feeling and you're connecting to yourself and you're being guided in a totally different kind of way. There's really profound and deep kinds of emotional release, healing and self-acceptance and all these great things that come in that inclusive space. So I am so tickled to hear you talk about all of this. And I really feel like That's something that people don't understand. They think, oh, velvet floor therapy, we're going to work on my pee and my poop and my muscles. And But no, because all of that is tied to how you feel about yourself and how you get out of bed every day and what's the story that you're telling yourself about who you are in the world is going to affect everything about you. And so we have to reorient them to that and help them start to understand that they're, you know, that their body and their mind and their spirit all go together. So I just love everything you're saying about that. I mean, working on someone's hamstrings and introducing such a heavy topic because it's like disarming Mm. too. You know, like they're not having to look you in the eye and recant Mm -mm. this big experience. It's, Mm -mm. it just changes the whole dynamic so much. I think it's great.
2: Yeah. And they don't have to talk about it either. You know, sometimes people come here and or at least to see see me and myself and people come and it's just their time to kind of focus on their bodies uh, without the memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that like it's just so situational, right? Like each person is different. And so we just again try to meet them where they are. So um, the, that's the least I could do. You know what I'm saying? To me, yeah. I feel like that's the least I can do. The least I can do is bring it to your, your awareness so, so that you know what's, you know what I mean? Like, I, yes. I just feel like, I. how can I look over that? Like as your provider, like how can I ignore that?
1: Well, a lot of providers just, don't really even necessarily acknowledge that that's part of what they should be doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you go see the hepatologist, he's not necessarily going to talk to you about how was your emotional state? He doesn't feel like that's his jam. But Which in the world fair. I come from, right, mm-hmm. it's fair. And it's a different kind of training and it's a whole different skill set. that in the world I come from. Like those are inseparable. <laughs> I can't disassociate your liver from your, how are you feeling today? So.
2: Exactly, exactly. And so that's where I'm at with it. I, I think that like, while I'm not, I can't sit there and like be your talk therapist I at least can help you be validated in, in your experience and make sure that you have the resources that you need to go pursue what you need.
1: Yeah. And I just think all the time, I didn't even know what pelvic floor therapy was until last year. And I think all the time how profoundly different I think my life would have been five years ago, if I knew about it, just like, like after our third miscarriage and a really traumatic In the middle of the emergency room, DNC, in front of my husband, like, it was, I felt everything was wrong. And I was very lucky in that situation because that emergency room doctor was incredible. Like, he was wonderful and so kind. And he talked me through the whole thing while it was
0: happening, like, as I'm having literal contractions, bleeding out, like, vomiting, all the things, like, he... I wish that somebody
1: would have told me like, Hey, if you're not feeling super great down there in a
0: month or something, like you should look, reach out to a public floor therapist. That didn't happen. I had no resources. I left the hospital empty handed and didn't know that a month, two months later, when I'm having sex with my husband and crying about it because it hurts so bad,
1: I just had no idea who to ask about that or who to talk to. It was a completely different experience. And I just, I... I wish I would have known then, or had been given any sort of resources to help me heal. Mm-hmm. I wish I would known about you, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah. that's why we're changing that, right? That's what this whole thing is about. Yeah. It is the collaboration of saying, "Yeah, Hey, people, go find yourself a Dr. Justine or anyone on her staff, because she's going to offer you something that you probably didn't even know that you wanted. Or needed,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think- Or needed, even- yeah. Right. I didn't know that I could go to a professional and get help for that. Like I didn't know. I didn't, I just didn't know.
2: And you don't, and here's the, here's the other issue. I think that pelvic floor rehabilitation training or, or topics and uh, implications and things like that surrounding the things that we treat is not necessarily a part of the majority of like ob gyns and like mm-hmm. fertility specialist um training right unless you pursued or were in a program that had a hospital that maybe offered it you know those types of or you know pelvic rehab if they offered it or you went into like a special or like into a fellowship or something like that that right in on it. So we've made it our job the two OBGYN residency programs here will go lecture to them and some of their uh, re- OBGYN residents will come and do rotations with us. Because you got to learn it to know how to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you got to you got to know it exists. And that's why a lot of docs don't really refer because they haven't been taught the efficacy of pelvic floor rehab and like wow. the details. That's right. That's in yeah. crazy yes.
1: Yes. Is why so we got to
2: train met, the docs too.
1: Yes, that's why when I met her, I was a, I was just, I had a real wow moment because I thought this, is a, this person's going to do something. You're going to do something profound. And I could see it from our first conversation. And then when I went to do observation with her those couple of days on the board, she'd have this calendar and I'm looking at it and she had all these different meetings for different offices and different groups that she was going to. And she would walk into this room of people and say, this is who I am. This is what we do. This is why you need to know about it. And it was just, I mean, and it was all different kinds of medical doctors, but also other things, human resources groups, just anybody mm-hmm. that she could introduce to this. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just so inspired. It's so wonderful to see what cool. you're doing and having this kind of conversation and just introducing these topics to people. I've sent a lot of especially my older female patients, they're not in baby-making, maybe they're menopause, maybe they're after that, They come from such a different generation. Mm -hmm. And when I have said to several of them, I really think that you should go investigate this pelvic floor therapy approach. Every one of them has come back and said, Whoa, right. I like, I knew what I was going for, but I didn't know what I was going for. And then once they got there and had permission to do a little self-introspective, you know, I they start thinking about their lives in a different way, their bodies in a mm-hmm. different way. And I'm talking to people who are 75 and above. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. that has been super exciting to have them come back and say, I am so glad that I did that because I learned something. About myself that I didn't even know 70
2: years later. So I'm. And it's it's, it's cultural differences um, when we're talking sure. about age, like, right? You know, I think some of the older population, they were still even calling vaginas pocketbooks. Like, I remember seeing someone recently, <laughs> it was like a pocket, pocketbook. And I was like, Your pocketbook? What are you, <laughs> your vagina? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right and so we we have very like we have to uh, meet people where they are but everyone gets the same education when they come to see us and I think that everyone deserves the opportunity to learn however pelvic floor therapy is not easy mm-hmm. right and that's I wish I could make it easy I do I wish I could make it easy I I, I mean if I could snap my I'd be a really rich woman if I could mm-hmm. snap my finger and like people show up for one visit and we heal everything about them However, you know, people, people have to be ready and people have to understand it and be willing to to try something new um, in order to get where they want to be. And even if this isn't, I, I, I had a doctor, a male OBGYN asked me recently, you, he said, you can't really think that what you do actually like heals everything pelvic related, right? And I looked at him And I said, of course not. Just like you can't think that everything that you can offer will heal every single thing that your (laughs) patients complain about, right? right? But together, like together we can make sure that we're giving our patients, what they need to to succeed. Um, And, you know, when we talk about things like fibroid or uh, myomectomies, when we talk about hysterectomies, when we talk about all of these things, it is crazy to me that these doctors do these surgeries and don't refer to rehab when ortho doctors from the beginning of time have referred their patients out to pre and post-op rehab. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and will call the therapist directly and be like, Hey, do this, like they will call and tell the rehab specialist, their protocols and what they're they're looking to to do. There's a disconnect there that I really hope, you know what I mean? I really hope that we can, we can get to where we're a part of preventative care and we're a part of the solution when it comes down to like quicker solutions, like surgery, which is not quicker, but you know what I mean? More of a different type of fix. You don't have to show up every week for six weeks or you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, that's my spiel.
1: That's I think even breast augmentation should have to go to do some physical therapy afterwards. I see so many people that have breast augmentation and then they have terrible pain and dysfunction. And it's like, mm-hmm. you never did your body changed immediately and instantly. And you never did any type of reconstructive process to facilitate that. Yeah. All of it. 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 it and that's what's so funny. It, like, it. why is this a hard leap for, for a doctor to make, to mm. understand you just, immediately you altered my whole structure mm-hmm. and then you're just going to send me home and have me sit there for six
2: weeks and then it's all going to be all good uh, unbelievable and, and in my mind it's like why okay what would it harm you you or the patient to come to one pelvic floor visit right. it doesn't no it doesn't it doesn't hurt you know what i'm saying like it just does not hurt now i do get that some patients will refuse they're like oh, i don't want to do that um so i get that part but at least like give them right the opportunity friends, give if them the you opportunity. don't want it that's fine but don't prevent me don't decide for me right just let me decide i've had people that had to beg so my patients get upset because they're like, I had to beg for a referral out. Luckily, in the state of Florida, we are a direct access state, so patients right. can come to any you know pelvic provider. But that's not the case for every single state. Yeah, you know. So so yeah. So it it should be a resource that everyone can uh, can have accessibility to, right? So we got well, work to do.
1: Yes, but we're doing it. We're doing it. I mean, as a collective society, we are doing it. We're taking the time and highlighting each other's strengths and assets Mm -hmm. and providing an audience opportunities to hear things that they're just not going to get anywhere else. So, I mean, high five to all of us, not just people in this room, but everybody that we're working with, staff and the whole network. It is changing. I think in 20 years, healthcare is going to look different. Mm -hmm. I think it has to. I mean, that's
2: just where I'm going to hang my hat because otherwise I don't know if I'm going to get out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing the work. We're doing the work. We're making progress. And as long as we continue to have conversations like this, because this these type of conversations are eye-openers for people. And most of the time, if it's not a fit for one person, it may be a fit for another. And that person told them about it. You know totally. what I mean? Right. So it's just getting that trickle domino effect.
1: Totally. So, well, um, okay. For anybody listening, we'll have a link to Dr. Christine, all of her information. If you want to learn more, you um, can we'll contact her. Yes. Then we're going to circle back on a different episode and have a different conversation with her. So if you like this one, get ready for the text. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Christine. I learned so
2: much today. I mean, it was. Thank so you sweet. so much. You are awesome. It's Aww. good. I enjoyed the conversation.
1: Yes,
0: thank it
2: you so good yay bye everybody
0: on the protected space podcast is hosted by Aaron Attaway and Bryant Liggett and is brought to you by the fertility resort to learn more about us head over to the FertilityResort.com and give us a follow on all social platforms at protected space
2: pod